So our, our biggest win that we have is in San Francisco. We've won uh, double gold. And um, granted, some of the other, some of the bigger guys have won that too, but we've scored higher on the point scale than any of them have ever scored. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Marketing and 1820 Coffee House in the heart of Alvin, Texas, and we're in season two of the podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to showcase the amazing people, businesses, and organizations we have in and around Brazoria County. So if you know someone who should be highlighted, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com. Today, we are again at the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce, one of the sponsors of the podcast. Texas Snowfruit is also a sponsor, and you can learn more about both of those businesses later in the show. If you're a first-time listener, we would love for you to subscribe to Creating Community on your favorite podcast app. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen directly at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. In this episode, we were talking with Nick Drage, co-owner of Texas Tell Distillery in Galveston, Texas. Thanks for coming on the show, Nick. Thank you all for having me. Welcome. So the, the first question I have is a lot of times children of entrepreneurs see them going through the struggles of launching a new business. Your parents own T-Deck here in Alvin. And I feel like there's no middle ground. Either they see their parents doing the entrepreneurial journey and are like, I love it. That's what I want to do. I don't want a desk job. I don't want normal. Or they say, dear God, no, I want safe. You apparently have taken the entrepreneurial side. What was it that made you want to be an entrepreneur? Just watching them see the the freedom really that they had after they were able to establish their business and just the, the impact that they were to be able to give back to the community and everything like that. That's really what drove me into wanting to open my own business. Yeah. I, I think the key there is you said that after they made it or like after they became successful. Yeah. It takes a while. You know, when you first start in business, you're going to put in the 80, 90 hour weeks and you don't, you can't think twice about it. You, you have to do what you have to do to get your business started. And then, I mean, I was young whenever my parents started their business. So I think they're in like 35 years now or something like 30 years. So it's, you know, time I realized what was going on, it would, you know, they were, they were already doing very well. Yeah. Well, it was probably normal, your normal growing up to see them doing all that versus kind of a shift halfway through. So what was it? You decided to go and start Texas Tell Distillery. Have you always had a desire to do something like that? Or is this kind of surprising to everybody that knows you? You know, we, um, we were making beer in college and that's really where, where everything kind of started. And, um, both me and my business partner. Now we realized that neither one of us really care for beer. We we mainly drink like, you know, vodka or whiskey or something like that. We always found ourselves at a party or get together drinking liquor rather than beer. And so we started messing around and kind of came up with the idea of trying to launch our own brand. And so we got, that's, that's really how we kind of followed that footstep. But uh, I mean, it is kind of surprising that we, this is the route that we ended up taking. And that started in 2010. So yeah, the idea kind of started in 2010 and took us about 
three years to uh, really figure everything out, all the laws, and um, I guess what what we needed to do to to get the business off the ground because there's a lot of federal and state laws that apply oh, to yeah. to distilleries. Sure, uh, and I think because craft beer brewing is I'm not gonna say a simple process, but because people do it so in their garage at home for fun, they probably think, oh. I can just turn around and sell. I can make vodka. I can do whatever. And Cottage I can just, walls, right? Yeah, I can just do it. Yeah. There's got to be a ton of stuff. What was one something that surprised you when you... So the biggest the biggest thing is it's um, like the beer guys, they can make up to so many gallons per year with without paying all the taxes and everything like that. Well, as soon as liquor starts coming out of the still, there's an excise tax that's put in place. And so like if you're moonshining, then... <laughs> It's, you know, it's technically a federal offense to, uh, and what they get you on is like tax evasion and stuff like right. that because you're missing the excise tax. So it's, it's hard to learn your, your craft without, you know. Yeah, well, you're not able doing, to sell yeah. the product, but you got to pay taxes on the product. Yeah, and, and beer can self-distribute so much whenever they first get started. They, there's, a, there's a lot of legal things that liquor side can't do that beer can do. So it's a lot harder to get started in the distillery side than it, than it would so, be a brewery. So somebody that starts a business, like for us, we started the coffee house. We start making money. At the end of the month, we file our taxes. We do those things. And then we pay taxes. For you, it's due as soon as it starts coming out and you start bottling it, even before you can sell the product. It is. But I mean, we pay taxes monthly for that. I mean, so we keep we have to keep records of everything. And then um, and then we'll we'll pay tax every month on on like the liquor that comes out of the still and everything like that. Wow. wow. That seems counterproductive to me as far as the law, because if you, if you can't generate revenue, you have to figure out how to float basically however long. And at minimum you said three years to kind of get the processes down. And then obviously you weren't distilling immediately, but that seems like a weird trigger that the second we start to distill the vodka, we're, well, just to get just to get our permits, you have to have your still, your tanks, you have to have all these serial numbers to even turn in for your permits. So you have lots of money out, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars already out to wow. even get started. I remember watching a documentary on Hulu about bourbon and about how it takes about four years for bourbon to be ready to hit the shelf. And all I could think about was as much as it's much that fascinates me. The idea of going to someone and going, Hey, I need money <laughs> yeah. to start a bourbon. Five to years. Now. Yeah. I promise in four years, in, in four years, hopefully it's good. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. You know, cause it's possible that it's trash cause I don't know what I'm doing, you know? And, yeah. and so 2013, you finally hit the shelves. What, how do you even go about getting into say specs or that's the one that comes to mind, but is that, where you headed first, the big one. Specs was interesting. Um, our first <laughs> store that our first store that picked us up was a little mom and pop store in uh, Santa Fe, actually. Whites. Um, called no, called Dylan's uh, Liquor. They were one of the first stores to pick us up, and then um, and then after we started getting a couple mom and pops, we talked to our distributor. We were like, hey, we really need to get into Specs. They're the big guy in sure. Texas at the time, right. and um, it's got to be interesting to be told what's up because I do like we get ingredients for the coffee shop no liquor <laughs> ingredients for the coffee shop at specs and so we'll go and i walk around and, and that is something i look and go what makes this whatever 
different than that five one, vodkas you know, like, on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. Probably hundreds of vodkas. Yeah, no, no, I know. You know, and so, yeah, I can see how it can be a little intimidating for, for anyone to kind of go, okay. How are you different? Mm, we just are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because... Well, yeah, and we were, I mean, we were new, so we had put our stuff into competitions and everything like that already, but we hadn't really started winning a lot of the awards that we've won now. And so it was, um, it was a lot harder sales pitch than what I originally anticipated going in there. Yeah. Well, let's, let's fast forward to that. So you're talking about, we know that you're award winning stuff, right? So tell me what has been the biggest win for you personally in these competitions. So our, our biggest win that we have is in San Francisco. We've won a uh, double gold and um, granted some of the other, some of the bigger guys have won that too, Tito's Dripping Springs, stuff like that. They've won these awards too, but we've scored higher on the point scale than any of them have ever scored. So that's where, that's really the big accomplishment that, that we believe in. Um, like Tito's has scored like maybe a 89 or 91 or something in, in these competitions where we've scored a 95. So it's one of the, we're the highest rated Texas vodka that you could buy That's in, awesome. in the state based on these competitions. Yeah. So we've scored higher than any other distillery ever has. Nice. Now I want to know how to get into those competitions. I'll, I'll judge that. <laughs> just to, right. need just to barbecue judge not again. to do it, right? I've done the barbecue judging. We're good. You say there's three, there's three big ones in the United States and we've scored consistently higher than all the distilleries in those competitions. So how do you let people know that you are scoring high on these challenges without coming across braggadocious, you know? So like you, you want people to know how good your product is, but it's something we struggle with telling people, Hey, we can do this for you and we're going to do it better than somebody else. Here's why without coming across as conceited. Well, we probably do a really bad job at it, <laughs> but, um, I mean, we, you know, we, we do a lot of social media marketing, and, um, but in, in our industry that it's not really bragging. I mean, people put that stuff on bottles all the time. It's like they, they want that to get out there to the consumer that of what they're doing. It's just, um, the, the bigger companies have more money for marketing sure. smaller awards. So it makes even bigger huh. awards, not feel to the consumer as important. Oh, yeah, like Tito, like yeah. Tito's did, you know, hundred million dollar campaign for their 91. Well, we scored 95 points. So how does, and you, you didn't know, put we, we don't have a hundred million dollars to spend on marketing. So <laughs> can't you just go get more investors? <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what do you need investors for? For a marketing campaign? Yeah. yeah. Anything else? No, just marketing. Just marketing. But that's what alcohol, that really is. That's what alcohol is. It's, it's, it's a marketing company. Well, they're, that's they're, what we've had to become. Yeah. They're the big dogs the last 20 years in the Super Bowls, right? I mean, yeah. They're the ones that spend the money to do those. Yeah. yeah. Between Budweiser and things like that too. And yeah, it's, I'm curious how you market between, cause you have a physical location. We'll get into that in a little bit, but cause I see the, the stuff I see on Facebook, the marketing I see obviously is geared more towards your weekly drinks, things like that more. So our in store for like, once term. we opened up our storefront, our business model kind of started changing because sure. we realized what we were doing with the, with the storefront what we were able to do there and with the selling cocktails and food and um, bottles and everything like that. Yeah. And so our, our shift, I mean, we still have to go after liquor stores and we still need all that, that volume, revenue yeah. and volume from all that. But um, just the, what, what we were able to do through the storefront is really kind of where we started focusing our marketing side of things. Gotcha. And, and so 
to bring that up in 2018, you opened a storefront on the seawall in Galveston. So yes. you're born and raised Alvin, but, and it makes sense to me <laughs> that the seawall or Galveston is a great location for what you're <clears throat> wanting to do. Um, is it, I seem to remember that when you opened, yeah, here comes the train. I seem to remember that when you opened, like immediately I heard you didn't have enough space just cause you had your distillery in there. You didn't have quite the space that you wish to have for people to come in and hang out. And then, so, and then I think at the time you couldn't serve food. Yeah. We right? didn't have any food or anything like that when we first opened. And so was the idea just to get the storefront or was it always kind of a temporary thing? Cause you knew you were going to hopefully be expanding and doing other things. And now we can say in 2021, you just opened a brand new location off post office still down and still in Galveston, but it's a lot larger. Is that <laughs> a lot? Yeah, it's a lot larger. We went from about 1600 square foot to about 11,000. So we, wow. we increased our, our space dramatically. And so was the goal to, were you just looking for space to have your, cause your distillery, if I remember was in the Dallas area originally, yes. and then you moved it to, to Galveston, which became the first distillery on the, yeah, on the Island, which is very cool. One, I can't believe that. But First legal, <laughs> legal one, I okay, guess. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm that's sure there was some, some moonshine. In I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but So was the idea just to get down there and then, oh, we can also have a storefront. And then, oh my goodness, the storefront is opening up these other doors. So we, we need a different, bigger space. We had an idea that this, when we first got this place or on the seawall, that it was going to be too small already, but we wanted to get started. And um, our thought process of opening the seawall location was that when you come to Galveston, you go to the beach. Like, that's what you're coming to Galveston for. You're going right. on vacation. Sure. So we wanted to be on the seawall, on the water, and kind of fit our brand, you know, fishing, everything like that. So that's where, that's where we tried to find a place. But then after, after we moved in and realized how fast things just started multiplying, we, we were out of space pretty much the time we opened our doors um, after throwing our first couple parties there. So we, we realized, you know, when you pack 150 people in an 800 square foot spot, you're, you're, you already need to start looking for more tight. space. Yeah. 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 And, and so probably about the time you started looking for new space, COVID hit. What, what was you and your business partners kind of discussions with? Do this we was, need to expand? Do we need to hold off? Do we need, no, let's go ahead and do it. Like what? <clears throat> this was probably the scariest thing that we've ever done business wise. We, we knew we, everyone knew COVID was coming, you know, you'd hear things or whatever. We didn't necessarily know that we were going to get shut down. So we put an offer in on our, on the post office location. And then that day is when we got shut down from the from the oh, city geez. so it was um it was a tight little moment we 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 talked to our realtor and then, and then we talked both me and my business partner um you know just about how were we going to go through with this is this what we're going to try to do you know and then we started talking about paying employees and so yeah we're like there's a bunch of added expense that we don't even know if we're going to be able to stay open you know for the next month but then as, as time went on, I guess, I mean, you started realizing that, oh, yeah, we're going to be able to do this because of, you know, alcohol sales increased like five, six hundred percent because that, people true. started buying alcohol. And then we got into all the hand sanitizer stuff and everything like that as well. Yeah. Right. Which you brought up the hand sanitizer, which probably bears 
talking about. So I know that you guys shifted, started making hand sanitizer because of the national shortage and started providing it to other local businesses, right? So yes. what made you shift? Was it a was it a fight or flight, a fight for survival, or was it because you mentioned earlier that your your parents have always given back to the community? Is it just instilled in you? It was a little of it was a little of both, really. So that that same night on the seventeenth, we um, when when I got home, I had gotten a, an email that I just happened to look at. Normally, I don't look at my emails that late at night, but I happened to look at it and uh, saw that the the um, on the federal side that they had opened up distilleries were able to make hand sanitizer now, as long as we've met their requirements and followed their recipe that the FDA gave us. And so I got online, I ordered, I, th- I think I ordered like 5,000 bottles, like little, wow. like, I think they were little like 16 ounce bottles and I ordered some, some, some four ounce bottles. Well, the next morning, um, on my way to work, I get a phone call from a fortune 500 company and they're basically saying, Hey, we heard through the grapevine that y'all are going to start making hand sanitizer. <laughs> you know, how do we get, how do we get involved in this? And so that was the first clue. Was like, so as soon as I got off that phone call, cause they wanted something like 20, 30,000 bottles. Wow. And I was like, well, I don't have that much. So I got online and I tried to uh, order more bottles. Everywhere was sold out already. Oh my God. So just in that 12 hour period, people yeah. had already started getting phone calls about hand sanitizer, all these distilleries. And so it was, a. Uh, it got interesting, and at that point, I was like, oh, we, we better start buying everything that we can possibly get. And so we started buying glass, and so that's why our hand sanitizer didn't really come in, you know, traditional <laughs> bottles. Right. We started putting it in vodka bottles, whiskey bottles, <laughs> mason jars, like pretty much anything that we could get our hands on because people didn't care what it was coming in at that point. Yeah. What is the difference between, is it a huge difference, I should say, between distilling alcohol and making hand sanitizer no not at all so in the process of making like vodka or something like that it we're getting up into that 190 like low 190 proof range right and so you're you're basically making ethanol at that point and that's what's that's what's used for the hand sanitizer so it's the same process um just then the hand sanitizer we had to add peroxide and glycerin and stuff like that gotcha and that's what separates it from and it's not getting proofed down near as much as what, what a vodka would. Gotcha. And we don't take it through all the filtering and everything like that as well. Well, we're going to keep talking with Nick about Texas Tail and what all they're doing. But first, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsors. Hi, this is Christina with Texas Snowfruit. We're a shave ice company located in Scopel Square in the heart of Alvin. Stop by and see us or visit us on our website at texasnowfruit.com. Hi, this is Carrie Perrin, President and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. Here at the Chamber, we want to support local businesses. We want to give you visibility in the community. We want to give you opportunity in the community. And for those of you that aren't business owners, we want to let you know about all our wonderful Chamber members. And if you support them, you support our community. So remember, whether you're a business or a community member, When you eat, shop, play, and support local business, you support the community. And we're back with Nick from Texas Tail Distillery. Uh, So just to back up a little bit, because I I noticed a difference in your your name. Originally, it was Texas Tail Vodka. 
and now you switch over to Textile Distillery. And obviously, I know that you do <laughs> you do moonshine and um, whiskey and a different line. Was that always part of your growth strategy? Like, we're going to start with vodka, but we want to branch out? Or it was, no, we're going to do vodka, and then somewhere along the way, like, we probably should diversify. Like, what, what went into that? No, our whole... Our, our game plan, we kind of messed up on our name originally because we should have never just stick with Texas Tail Vodka. We knew we were going to have a whiskey, um, possibly rum, stuff like that later on down the road. Um, but our vodka was our first, our first, I guess, product on the shelf. And, and the reason that we had to start with vodka was because that's what brings in capital while whiskey ages. Because it takes it takes so much time for whiskey to, to mature and it doesn't take as near as much time here in Texas, especially on the coast <laughs> um, because of humidity and everything like that. We feel like we're aging a little bit faster than really? What, really? what you would in Kentucky. <laughs> but um, the more, you know, but yeah, but so that's why we started with vodka originally. Gotcha. That's cool. And, and having a name that is a descriptive name probably helped get the word out there what you guys had right yeah i would i would, I would definitely think so because we we only focused on the vodka at first so it was it was just driving that well and i think that's probably good for people to hear in other businesses just because you've made a mistake in your business you said you made a mistake in the name but you've changed it you've been able to continue on so just because you make a mistake is not a reason to give up it's not a reason to say oh we can't fix this yeah well i think a yeah. lot of people would have said no we got to I know people that were like, no, we, that's our name. We're going to be Texas Hell Vodka Rum. We're going to be Texas Hell Vodka Rocket Whiskey. Rum, it's like, just yeah. change it to distillery. Course yeah. correct. And, and then, and, but you're right. Like that. When we kept our core name, I mean, yeah. Texas oh, yeah. Tail was our, was our name. Yeah. And so we kept our the Texas Tail Vodka and everything like that. So it wasn't, to me, it wasn't that big of a deal yeah. changing our name. It was a little bit of marketing, I guess, involved in it, but we had this whole big storefront now and we yep. had a, a whiskey that we were starting to introduce. So it was able, we were able to play it off pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Do you feel like these shows on television now that the past seven or eight years that called moonshiners and things like that, do you think that's helped you or hurt you? I think it's, I mean, it's definitely helped our moonshine <laughs> side of things. Um, and I think it's helped our like tours and stuff like that at our storefront. Because people want to come see how it's done in a distillery setting, I guess. Right. As opposed and to so, and they have people have a lot more questions, so it's kind of it makes it a lot okay. more interactive because they want to know what the difference is and why we don't use certain equipment that they see on TV <laughs> and and stuff like Bath that. Tubs. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And the, I mean, like a lot of moonshine stuff that you see, like thump kegs and stuff like that. And they make their own and stuff. It's, it's and just do different. Those kind of things. Yeah. yeah, it's different distilling techniques. Yeah. And ours is a lot more modernized. With no open flames, everything like that. It's all run through <laughs> gas boilers. So you're so saying there's a safety measure involved. There's a safety measure involved. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's always dangerous, especially when you're dealing with high proof alcohol. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. We mentioned, mentioned it before we started recording, but like quality assurance. What What's your process for doing that? We joked about. You can't just taste it all day. Yeah. <laughs> as much as you may want to, but you know. So we take we we do when we're running product, we we taste quite a bit of it, but it's it's a lot done by smell and, and feel. You can feel the oils and stuff on from the alcohol. Really? And so we we kinda know when we need to cut things off or add wow. heat. Um, but you're constantly tasting like I mean, you just put your pinky under it and you're just tasting it. So it's not like you're getting 
you know, we might not even take a whole shot or half a shot throughout the whole process because it takes about seven hours, but you're constantly just like making sure you're in the sweet spot. Gotcha. Um, Cause there's a heads, hearts and tails in, in distilling and the heads is basically pure out or pure ethanol. And which, so you got to don't want, yeah, you don't want that. That's when, that's when you, all the moonshine <laughs> stuff you hear about people going blind and yeah. things like that. So, okay. It's, so it's, we don't want that for sure. Bad for yeah. You. yeah. <laughs> but that's whenever it comes out first, it's, it's super oily. You're getting a lot of oils from the corn and stuff like that huh. in it. And so you can kind of, you can feel your way like as it, as it's getting better and better, it starts getting less oily and the smell starts getting sweeter, especially with rye whiskey. And you can huh. uh, you can smell it big time. That's interesting. So you clearly you have a knowledge base there that I mean clearly Jake and I don't have. But going back to college, what did you originally go to college to do? <laughs> to drink? Um, <laughs> yeah, just, I actually had an online automotive business that I was uh, that I had started in high school to. Um, basically get my car parts for my trucks cheaper and then provide it <laughs> to my friends. So it was, I don't know if it was necessarily a business, but it, uh, but that's what I went to college for was they have a, I went to a Northwood university, which is a small private school up in the Dallas area. And okay. um, they had an automotive program, but for the business side of things. Really? And okay. so it was to teach you this, this school was a capitalist based principles that they're going to teach you how to start or run a business. Um, their big campus up in Michigan was started by a bunch of dealership families and um, to teach their, their kids how to oh, start nice. managing yeah. their dealerships and take them over so they didn't fail. Um, and then the, the entrepreneurial spirit of the school just kind of took off and every class that you did to finance, it was about building business. So very cool. And is that where you met your business partner? Yes. Who we haven't said his name yet. Your business partner's <laughs> name is Greg Truex. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well, we might drop him eventually. He might appreciate that. Thirty minutes into the podcast, we can. Man, I've been listening the whole day. I haven't heard anything. No, but is that where you met him, or did you know him from? No. So I, yeah, I met him in college, and um, that's kind of. We met through some mutual friends, and we just kind of always seen ourselves like drinking every, together. Yeah, every time we every time we got ended up getting together, we just started talking and drinking, and very cool. Kind of just yeah, ran so, with, ran with things. Is he from this area? He's from Dallas Forward area. Okay, so. yeah, that's very cool. And so, one question we always have with entrepreneurs is: uh, you're married and you have two kids. That's not the no, question. That's not the question, <laughs> but. What, what has been your ex- Kenzie's experience? Like what, obviously it's, Hey honey, I'm going to do this thing that is not stable. What was, what were those conversations like with? It's your, not going to be wife? a regular check. It's yeah. going to come in when it comes in. But and honestly, if you started in 2010, I don't know when y'all got married, maybe with your then girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> now wife, like, Hey, this is what I want to do with my life. You know? Yeah. So when we, when we started Texas tale, Kinsey and I had actually just met. So whenever I, it was interesting having that conversation that I was going to quit my job where I was working and, and do Texas tail full time. So both of us were a little worried. I definitely sat down with my, my parents as well. And I was like, all right, so what, you know, if I, if I do this, like, you know, how hard is it? Like, what do I, what do I have to do? And they, they laid out some things and they're like, you're just going to have to stick with it. But, but it was a, it was a scary moment. Uh, yes, I, I bet. It's still scary every now and then. I mean, 
(laughs) when you don't know where things are going to come from or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're waiting on a big check that someone doesn't pay or takes, you know, you know, 90 days or whatever, instead of the normal 30. So, yeah. Yeah. Is there there anything on the horizon that you want to share with our listeners that is coming from Texas tale that they should be looking forward to? Our, our biggest thing that we're about to launch probably October ish is um, we're going to do a a rye whiskey. So it's finally, we have some barrels that are finally getting to that uh, two to three year age point. And so we feel like it's, uh, it's time to start introducing those out to the, out to the public. That's very cool. What do you have a name for yet? It's going to all go under the coastline name. We're just going to have, we're going to have a coastline. So we'll have a coastline weeded bourbon, a coastline Texas bourbon, and then we're going to have a, a rye whiskey. And so the, both the bourbons and the weeded bourbon are both Texas made. It's just, we, they're made with different mash bills. And so we wanted to kind of give them different names for it. Do you have to go in with a whole new pitch to places like specs or do they say, well, we've already got Texas tail, so they've got a new product. We'll just add it automatically. A little bit. So if things are selling well, then a lot of the times if you just call them and say, Hey, we're adding this new product line that they'll, They'll look at it. Um, that doesn't mean that they add it right away. And especially if, like in specs or total or something like that, they're going to, they add as, as they get requests and, and things like that. So it takes a, it takes a long time. Like they might buy one bottle or two bottles, something like that. And when those two bottles sell, then they'll call and reorder um, from the distributor. Gotcha. And so it could take two weeks a week to get two new bottles up there. So now you just went a month, you know, maybe with only four bottles on the shelf. So and what so, would be helpful is if the listeners came and started requesting it. Yeah. Con- constantly, even if you don't go to buy our stuff at the liquor store, if you're buying something else, just ask for our product. If you don't see it on the shelf, perfect. Um, yeah. Because it, it, all it does is help pull product faster for us and keep it on the shelf. Gotcha. Because if, even if you're going there for our product and we're not on the shelf, you're, you're likely to grab something else anyways. Right. And so then, you know, then the next time if you go back and it's not there and you grab that product again. So now you, now you, you started, Oh, I, well, I kind of like this product too. So sure. I can't find Texas tail. So I'll, I'll buy this. So yeah. it's a, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard road being in the liquor in the liquor stores and stuff. You have to constantly be pushing product to sure. out there to, to, to grow more, especially more stores. And this is an interesting asterisk to selling that, probably only happens in Galveston in the sense that there's a lot of cruise lines that launch out of there. Right. And y'all are now part of the tour or you're trying to get like on the, the prior to, I would love to be part of the one of their tours. Okay. So you're, you're still working on that. Yeah. It's a, it's a, that's a very hard process. Gotcha. To get into, but people, if they show up early for the cruise, they can buy your product, but they can't take it on. Like I, I heard your mom was explaining it to me one day. And that is a weird process. So they can buy our product um, if they, if they come to us before the cruise, they can buy the product, take it to the cruise. They'll hold on to it. That's what it is. And then they'll get it back after the cruise. But we found a lot of people come after their cruise, like before they leave or something like that. They'll they'll come have lunch or, you know, buy some bottles or something like that. I mean, you're what, three blocks, four blocks from launch points. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I have, kind of two wrap up questions. The the first one is uh, the, the 54 club, which you corrected me on. This is a great story to me because a lot of people want to start a business. Uh, 
and don't know how to get capital. And they, they just think it's impossible or I have to go through a bank or some kind of traditional financing. Not that you don't still have to have a business plan, not that you don't still have to have stuff, but can you tell us what the 54 club was? Because to me, that was an innovative way to get some startup capital to get going. Yeah. So what the, what the 54 club was to us was we, we needed to raise, we needed to raise capital because we knew what it was going to cost us to do our first run of product and everything like that and, and get it out there with a little bit of marketing. Um, and so we took this concept that if we can ask some of our friends and family, if we can, between the two of us, we're like, man, we have to know, you know, at least 50 people. And so, um, going to, to find out, I think there was like 54 delegates that signed the Texas declaration of independence. And so that's really okay. where, nice. really where the, the number came from. And then, so we were like, well, let's see what's a, you know, what's a reasonable number that we could ask friends and family for without them going, you know, uh, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, I don't want to do this, but, and so we did, we did $540 to kind of tie in the whole 54 oh, nice. number. Yeah. And, um, and so we went after, I mean, so we started asking sure. all of our friends and family and everything like that. And we threw a little party and um, kind of snuck it in there. Hey, hey, since you're here, this is what we're looking for. Um, <laughs> kind of launched our product. We had, a, you know, we showcased all the Texas Slovakia at the time and stuff like yeah. that. And um, yeah, and that's really how we got our capital to start our start the business. I I think that's a great idea. It's a great way to it's innovative. Get, yeah. yeah, it was crowdfunding before yeah, crowdfunding exactly. was really a. I think, I mean, I don't, I don't think it had really started back in 2013. So, well, and there's two things with that one, obviously get, got you the startup capital to get going. I'm sure that's not all you needed, but it got you going Two, you just created 54 brand ambassadors, Yeah, you know, cause they're invested now, not necessarily as investors, but the, emotionally. And I've given to Nick and Greg for this product. I wanted to succeed. Yep. So like it, it was just really smart idea to me of how you do it so yeah that's awesome no we were yeah we were it was a very successful program for us uh, to get started and then we gave them you know first we every run that we do we give the first 54 bottles to to them of like a new product or something like that they'll get the first 54 bottles off the line that's awesome again great marketing good job (laughs) yeah for sure the the last question i have for you is your slogan is never stop chasing you can take that as an entrepreneur. And so what, what does that slogan mean to you? So never stop chasing to us was, was really put in there. was never stop chasing the dream because I mean, we started in 2010 and took us three years. There was a lot of people saying, you're never going to be able to do this. Why are you still, you doing know, this? yeah. Why are you still trying to put it together? Cause it, it did become a very expensive hobby <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure sure. it all out yeah. and everything like that. And so that's, that's really what it came from. And then, also our brand is based on hunting and fishing and that's why we work. So, you know, you, you never stop chasing the, you know, the redfish or deer or something like that. You're always chasing for that next one. Yeah. And so that's, you know, it gets taken us two different ways, but the, the main thing to us was never stop chasing that dream. That's very cool. So if somebody wants to find you, they can go to texastaildistillery.com. All of your information is there, right? Or if they want to come visit you, what's the address down there? Our address for our new location is 2416 Post Office in Galveston, Texas. 2416 Post Office. And it's a beautiful facility. I was able to go down there a couple of months ago, whenever. <laughs> but uh, it was after you'd open. It's it, it's a great place to go and hang out and have some drinks and, and great food, too. So. Yes, yes. We 
we were we love the food aspect of it now we we didn't have that at the seawall location really and so now that we've added the food in there and we switched up all our cocktails we we do craft style cocktails i mean we make Mm -hmm. probably about 95 percent of all the syrups that go into the drinks nothing store-bought oh wow um so it's it's really a nice aspect of Nice. Of what, what we did whenever we moved locations. And then they can follow you on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Yes. So we'll have all those in the show notes. But it's Texas Tail Distillery on Facebook and at Texas Tail Distillery on Instagram. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Nick, for coming on the show. If you're interested in sponsoring Creating Community, we'd love to talk to you. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. And thank you again to Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce for allowing us to come in and record once again. To learn more about the chamber, visit alvinmanvillechamber.org. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Show notes and more are available at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week.